the last couple of weeks we spoke on some Christmas messages. I spoke about Joseph and his life. I spoke about Mary last week. I will spend some time speaking about Jesus today. Jesus, the God-man. I'm trying to fix my technology here. It's not going well. Somehow or another. There we go. Stay with me. I'm going to be speaking on the dual nature of Jesus Christ, his humanity, his, his, his deity, and trying to wrap a mind around this is not an easy thing. Please understand, there's no harder doctrine in all of scripture to teach, at least for myself anyway, to try to wrap our mind and grasp this magnificent joining of humanity and deity in the one person of Jesus Christ. And, and the reasons for, both are hard to grasp. All right, so I'm going to do the best I can today. Uh, it's probably the highest thought in all of humanity. There's no higher thought ever expressed, ever thought, ever imagined than the thought that Jesus Christ is fully divine and fully human. Okay? And uh, so I'm going to do the best I can on this. Uh, please forgive me where I fail, and I still leave you with many, many questions. I will try to do the best I can to answer how can this be? The scriptures give us some hints, okay? The scriptures give us some hints that doesn't go into depth on it. It's not comprehensive, but it, it, it's worthy to, to, to try to do it and for our encouragement, for our hope, and for our strength as Christians. Uh, what Christ has done for us, what God has done for us, this, this perfect plan of redemption, God has left one stone unturned for our salvation. Not one stone. If you sang today and you worship today and you had that, that pinch of hope in your heart and, and peace, that's because Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. It comes through Christ. All the hope you have in God, everything he's ever done for you, it's because of Jesus Christ and no other reason. It's through Christ that all God's blessings come to us. Again, I'll do the best I can on this uh, I'll give one fast application. The only real application into this is to be in awe. Is to step back and just see how grand Christ is. And for the Christian, that's all I need. I don't need three lessons on how to be a better man. I need to be a broken Brian Martin. I need to be broken under the genuine, magnificent love of Christ that humbles me. And from that state that I can live, hopefully, a life that's pleasing to God. So I pray that this message humbles you to some degree as it did to me as I prepared it. And I prayed over it. And and I was just in awe of what Christ has done for us. And uh, I'll do the best I can. All right. Let's go to three verses of scriptures I will read. I will start in Luke chapter 2. That heading was wrong. Luke 2, starting in verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. 
And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they we might as well say, they finally found him in the temple. You know, that should have been the first place they looked. <laughs> Hindsight's a great thing, right? And he's sitting there among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions, 12 years old. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's go to uh, Galatians. Chapter 4. Verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Let's go to Philippians. And we'll close with this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Paul says this, Have this mind among yourselves, Christians, which is, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to breathe upon the text that we've read. Help us to wrap our mind around it. More important, God, help us to wrap our faith around who Jesus Christ is and what you've done for us. Those nine months that Jesus was in his mother's womb, I ask you, God, Help us to see that you've left no stone unturned. When you came to this world, you came as a man. You saw the plight of humanity through our own eyes. You experienced the plight of humanity. You saw the devastation from bird's eye view. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming down here and living as one of us so that you can redeem us from the curse of the law. In Jesus' name. I'll tie those verses of scriptures together as I go through this teaching. I want to start with the Chalcedonian Creed. You might not be familiar with it, but in 451, uh, the thinkers of the Christian community got together in Europe, and there was, a, there was a hostile teaching come against the Christ. One group said that he was all man and no divinity. Another group said that he was all divinity and no man. And it was starting to take root within the church. So the bishops and the cardinals got together and they put their minds together and they came up with this 
Chalcedonian Creed, that once and for all, nothing's been changed since this creed was written in 451, because you can't add anything to it. It's, it's, it's faultless. And it's best definition of who Christ is. It's a little technical. I want to read it. Stay with me the best you can. And then I'll do the best I can to explain Jesus Christ to God. The creed goes like this. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. The same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood. He's truly God and truly man. Of a reasonable soul and body, cons—I'm sorry, consubstantial with us according to manhood, in all things like unto us, without sin, begotten before all the ages of the Father according to the Godhead. In these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away from the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one substance, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, and only begotten. God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning Him, and the Lord Jesus Himself taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. I'll paraphrase that whole thing. Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully man in one person. There are two natures in Christ. He's one person. He is fully God. He is fully man. This we have to take as we take all our theology by the word of God alone. Human reason, there's no place for human engineering, human reasoning, human philosophy. It, it doesn't partake in this. We take it from the scripture. God tells us who God is. Amen? He tells us he's Trinity. We believe that. He tells us his son is fully God, fully man. We believe that. And we can see it in our heart. By the eyes of faith, we can see that. When he's talking about the same substance as both man and God, they're talking about the attributes. That Jesus Christ is fully God. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere in the universe at one time. Even in his earthly body, he never, ever gave that up. When Paul says he emptied himself, it means he chose not to use his divine prerogatives at all or his divine power. When he came here and he emptied himself, he was fully God at all times, knowing all things. But he chose to live life as a human being. I'll explain it the best I can with some illustrations as we go along. But at the same time, he, was, he, was, he had all the attributes of humanity. As we read it earlier in Luke, that he grew in stature and wisdom before God and man. He had an intellect that needed to be nurtured, needed to be grown. I spoke about Mary's life last week, that Mary was Jesus Christ's first teacher. It was the mother's role to teach the children religion. Mary was the first to teach her son what the Bible said, what the law of Moses was. He grew in intellect. He grew in his emotions. And he grew in his will to serve God. Those are the three human faculties. Emotions, 
the mind, the intellect, and the will. That's the soul. So when we read this creed, he possessed both equally and perfectly. It's a divine balancing act that only God can do. And I don't want you to miss it. It's divine. Only God can do this to be truly God in human flesh and not use his divine prerogatives, his divine power at all. It wasn't part of his decision making. All his decision making was based on his humanity, his perfect humanity. And I say perfect humanity. How many people know that Jesus Christ is perfect humanity? All right, let me tell you something. Adam was perfect humanity. Did you know that? He fell out of perfect humanity. God doesn't make imperfect and then comes and makes perfect. Adam was perfect. You and I should be perfect. We will be perfect. Christ as the second Adam came and bring perfection and actually dignity back to humanity. Christ did that. Christ brought genuine dignity. When Christ came here and was conceived in the womb, he met, sent the message to the world that life is created in the image of God and should be protected at all costs. Life is precious to God. All human life is precious to God. Along with his human intellect and emotions and will, he had human frailty. He was subject to death. And as Paul says, even death on the cross. Like I said, it's a divine balancing act. As sinful human beings, we don't know that kind of consistency. You know what a good day is. I know what a good day is. I know when I lay my head down at night and say, you know, God, I had a good day with you today. I really felt like I, I pleased you today. And I had some imperfections, of course, but I felt good today, God. Even with our best days, we're far from perfect. But we have a good day, don't we? Come on. Because of Christ. We're not who we used to be. Jesus did it perfectly. And I have to add, there's no sin nature. He wasn't battling some kind of inner temptations. He fought all the outer temptations that come across our life. But he didn't fight an inner temptation. He had no inner sinful desires. Like I said, it's a divine balance. Now. It's a divine precision. It's absolutely flawless and perfect in its design. It's like an engineer going out and designing a building with an architect. And they do everything they can according to the sketch. God did that in redemption. Everything that God wanted in redemption, including his son, the God-man, is absolutely perfect. There is not a flaw involved. Let me give an illustration how we work this out. I'll give you two of them. Jesus Christ's deity, his divinity, never outran his humanity. It was in the background. Remember, he emptied himself. He chose not to do it. Though he was omniscient, he knew all things. The universe, in Hebrews chapter 1, says that the whole universe is held together by the power of Christ's word. If you don't know what that means, all he does is think. And the universe stays in place. That's all he does. He doesn't have to stay there and say, universe don't blow up. His mind controls every molecule in the entire universe. Every fragment of matter he holds together. 
And when he was in the manger, he was holding the universe together. When he was on the cross, he was holding the universe together. When he was in the temple at 12 years old, he was holding the universe together. But nobody would know it. Because his deity never ran out his humanity. He came to live under the law, as Galatians 4 says. He grew up like any other Jew, subject to his parents and subject to the law of Moses. An illustration the best I can. Remember, human illustrations, they can only go so far. It's like a karate expert who is trained in all the warfare of man-to-man combat, and he's walking in a tough, tough neighborhood, and he chooses before he goes into that tough neighborhood, no matter what comes his way, he's only going to use diplomacy. He's never, ever, even if he has to die, he's ever going to use his technique, he's never going to use his, his mastery of the martial arts. That's what Christ did. He came here and says, I'm going to use diplomacy. And even if they crucify me, I'm not going to use my divinity. Are you with me? Remember what he said? I can call down 12 legions of angels. He could easily have done it. But he emptied himself of that right. Doesn't mean he didn't possess it anymore. He possessed it so much that when he was in the garden... And he was sweating blood. Do you know he could have said, it's off. That was his divine prerogative. But he did not. He did it through diplomacy. Even to the point of giving up his life. It's the best illustration I can get. No matter all the pressure that was on him as a man, he chose not to get out of the pressure by using his divinity. He lived it out in the diplomacy of a man. He came into this wicked world like a karate expert, went into a wicked neighborhood and chose to go from one side of the neighborhood to the other side of the neighborhood and never use his abilities to defend himself. But he chose to use diplomacy. That's what Christ has done. The emptying began at conception. And Mary's seed, her ovary, with all the personal DNA of Mary, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and bring life to her seed. Do you remember in the beginning when God created and the earth was lifeless and formless and void and the Holy Spirit hovered? over creation and bring life to creation that's what the Holy Spirit did in Mary's womb he hovered over something that would naturally would just be dead like he hovered over the world and he bring life Jesus looked just like his mother he had the same eyes same characteristics Jesus you're really your mother's son I can hear everybody say You look just like your mother. And a little bit like your father. (laughs) Throughout his life, as we read in 2 verse 3, he grew and he increased in wisdom 
Biblical understanding and how to live under God's law. That's what that means. To live under God's law. Remember what Paul said? He grew up under the law. So to grow up under the law, Jesus Christ grew up with all wisdom and stature before God and man. He went through the natural process of, of maturing. Whether it's adulthood, young adulthood, childhood. He went through it all. Throughout this whole process of growing up, Mary never saw his divinity once. You know those Gospels of Thomas and these other ones that you did, you know, well, what about Thomas? And, well, if you read those, and you know, they got Jesus at 12 years old making do little magic tricks for his friends. You know, he took a rock and he made a bird out of it and they all enamored by it. And we read that and you throw that right out. That's right out of the canon. It doesn't belong. There's no redemption at all. That's, that's uh, little novelties and curiosities and it's whimsical at best. There's no redeeming factor in Jesus at 12 years old taking a stone and making a little bird out of it. So everybody in this class could uh, be happy. All right? That's what those Gospels hold out. So if you're really interested, go read them, but you're going to be very disappointed. I'm going to tell you that right now. His divinity never outran his humanity. Fully divine, fully aware, he's holding a whole universe together, fully aware he's the second person of the Godhead, fully aware of every thought of every human being that was around him from his mother, his stepfather, and everybody else around him, he was fully aware of everything but it never, ever not once, think about it, not once put it this way, if you knew what people were thinking about you how real could you be with them? if you knew people's thoughts it never influenced Christ. He read people's, he knew what people would think. It never influenced him. He chose to be influenced by the first and the second commandment. That's what it means to be born of a woman, born under the law. He was subject to the law of God. It did not influence the way he was going to react to any human being. He reacted to all humanity based on the law of God. Are you with me? We don't want to miss that. He was subject to God fully at all times. His divinity never outran his humanity. His sole purpose was to live for God, even to come to the cross and dying for other people's sins. You can rest assured that when Judas betrayed him, he loved Judas like he loved the other ones. His understanding of Judas, and he said, he who dips his bread and sops with me is the son of perdition who will sell me. He knew it all along. But his deity didn't run out of humanity because humanity was bent on loving all people under the first and second commandment. At 12 years old, we see him in his father's house. That's all we know. We know Jesus in his, his, his conception... We know Jesus at 12 years old, and then we know Jesus in his ministry. But otherwise, we don't know much about him. There's another lesson I might teach in a couple of weeks on that. Are you interested in what he was doing? Do you want to know what he was doing between 12 and 8, 
between 12 and 30? Come in two weeks and I'll tell you. All right? We'll save the aha moment for then. I'm not going to give you the secret now. He knew that before Abraham was, I am. He knew to see me was to see the Father. He understood that. But he didn't let the cat out of the bag. He was still living life as a man, growing in wisdom and stature. But his only ambition was to please God through the first and second commandment. To love God with all his heart, strength, soul, and mind, and love people as he would love himself. And he did it perfectly. He never wavered from this. There are two redemptive, more redemptive purposes to all this. I'll give you a couple. Romans 8.3 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Understand something. Jesus didn't just condemn sin when he died on the cross. Every decision he made not to sin, every decision he made to obey God, no matter how much the pressure was on him to live contrary, it made no difference. Every time Jesus made a righteous choice, he denied and condemned sin in the flesh. By his very actions, it's called his right, his, 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 let me get my theology right. This is his passive righteousness. His act of righteousness is when he went to the cross and he actually physically died. His passive righteousness was living it out all his life. But all his life, every time he said no to temptation, every time he said no to the world, every time he denied the sin trying to enter into him, he was condemning sin in the flesh. Until he eventually went to the cross. And guess what? He didn't die for his sin. He condemned our sin in his flesh. Our unrighteousness in his flesh. He knew he was bringing dignity back to humanity. Hebrews chapter 2, 14, 18 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. And through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject lifelong to slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I'll give you a little hint at the two-week service. Jesus Christ, all his life, just lived a regular, ordinary, and by many people would probably say a very boring life. But God was preparing him to be your high priest. God was preparing him to be our high priest. Did anybody run to the throne of grace this week and ask for mercy? Did anybody run to the throne of grace this week and ask for strength to overcome temptation? Did anybody go for grace because you fell into temptation and you needed his mercy? The reason it's there because Jesus lived for 33 years as a human being. He knows what we suffer firsthand. 
So he's allowed to give us that grace and mercy we need. That's what he was doing for 30 years. The purposes is what the God man secures for us. He destroyed the power of death. No, Christians don't die. I will do everything I can to encourage you. You never die. Allow the Holy Spirit to totally annihilate the fear of dying. Please hear me. I'm telling you, I will scream it out. Do not allow the fear of death destroy your life. Christ has destroyed death once and for all for us. We can wake up and live life, let's live healthy, let's exercise, let's eat well, and not be scared of what any doctor is going to say, because God knows your time and day, and nothing can interrupt it. And when we close our eyes that last time, instantaneously, we are in the presence of God. Instantaneously. Not one nanosecond will go by where you're like floating around. At all. Like, I'm over here, Jesus. No, 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 I'm over here. I'm getting warmer. You're getting warmer. A matter of fact, it's so true. As John Verdi can say, Pastor John, and I've seen myself, I've seen people go to the grave with smiles on their face because they're Christians. And it's called the hope of glory. Christ in you. He's on a mission. I'll spend more time developing that later on. But I just wanted to give a real short understanding over here that when Jesus grew in stature before God and before man, he grew up as a very normal Hebrew boy. He learned his Bible from his mother first. Then he studied it so well that at 12 years old, he could sit there with the best theologians of his time and give answers and questions that startled them. He lived by it. His only purpose was to fulfill the law of God. Adam was supposed to do it. He was supposed to do whatever he wanted to do. Just don't eat from the one tree. And the unthinkable happens. They they took matters into their own hands. Jesus never took matters into his own hands. No matter the pressure... No matter the fear, he kept his eyes fixed on the law of God. Do you know when David says, how can a young man not sin against you? By hiding the word of God, the law of God in his heart. That's a picture of Christ, not David. Whatever you, David. David failed. Moses failed. I failed. You fail. Of course we do everything we can to hide the word of God in the heart. We got to do that. It's Christ who perfectly hid the law of God in his heart. This is our wonderful salvation. This is why Hebrews says after chapter 11, no matter how great Moses was, no matter how great Abraham was, no matter how great Sarah was, no matter how great the prophets were, or Gideon or Samson, no matter how great they are, they're not the author and perfecter of your faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. That's how we overcome sin and the hindrances that easily entangle us in this world.
It's hard to grasp this reality of the Son of God. Isn't it honest? By faith I see. By faith I believe it. By faith I'm encouraged. And if I had to, by God's grace, I could burn alive for it. I can't wrap my mind around But let's just remember some of our own self-awareness. Remember, we're talking about Jesus' self-awareness. He knew he was fully God. He knew he was fully man in one person. I can't comprehend that. But can you comprehend you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? Are you? Can you comprehend it? I'm self-aware that the Holy Spirit was in me. I can't comprehend it, though. Can you comprehend that the Father and the Son have made their abode in your heart? Is it true? Yes. Can you comprehend it? No. Can you comprehend that it's not I who live, but... Can you comprehend you're born a second time? Can you comprehend you're a co-heir with Christ Messiah? Can you comprehend you're a priest under God? Can you comprehend... Are you self-aware that one day you will judge angels? As Paul teaches us. But is it true? Absolutely it's true. You see, Christ was perfectly aware of his divinity and his humanity. We are unperfectly aware of the Holy Spirit in us, of God in us. We're not as aware, but we are. We know he's there. We can feel his presence. We can feel his hope and his joy. And when we're crying something to the Lord, we know he's close to the brokenhearted. We know that. But I can't understand it. I'm aware of it, but I cannot comprehend it. Christ was fully aware of who he was. What Christ was by nature, we are by adoption. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. Only by God's grace. And the fruit of the Spirit, which imperfectly displays at times in our life, in the most challenging, demanding circumstances, we can hold our head, we hold our head up high because the Holy Spirit is. And I say that because when I try to wrap my mind and my heart around who Christ is in his humanity and his deity, I have to be reminded there are certain things happening in our life. That I'm fully aware. I'm fully aware when I was a young believer and I used to do this shaming thing before I was a Christian. And I did it. And I did it. Never thought about it. I did it. And I did it. And I became a Christian. And that first week I was a Christian, I went to do it. And God said, you don't do it anymore. I was fully aware I wanted it. I was fully aware I always did it. But now I'm aware of something else. That we don't do it no more. And by God's grace, I never did. Those are the most challenging and demanding of circumstances. Please, if you fought the good fight this week, you're here today. God's not asking if you were perfect. But we're here worshiping our Savior. That's because we're aware of something great in us. We're not divine like Jesus, but divinity is working out his will in us. For it is God who is at work within you, both for his will and his good pleasure.
at the end of the day, we know it's God and not us. Two short applications, we'll close. As I said, it's this kind of teaching that just, it floors me up. You're looking at a man who is crying tears of gratitude all week. As I just thought about this. That I can sit there and ponder without no distractions, at least for short periods of time. About this marvelous truth. That God allowed me to sit there in the quietness of my own study room with a cup of coffee and think about this. I'm a blessed human being. My mind is blessed. But this truth, along with Good Friday, this truth, along with Easter, the Resurrection Day, that's that's the lens of life we we, we go through life in. That's why Paul says this, after some of the deepest theology in all the New Testament, that he emptied himself, he starts off by this, have this mind in you, that was in Christ. Serve one another as Christ served us. Serve one another. It's the only application. To think for any length of time on this sermon and what Christ has done for us can only point us in one direction. Lord, send me. I'll go. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you, Father God, that his, his main purpose as a man was to live under the law and then die for those who broke it. Father, I'm in awe of your goodness. I'm in awe of how much you love this. Not one stone was left unturned. That Christ passively lived a perfect righteous life and condemned sin in the flesh our sin, and then he gave us his righteousness. I thank you, God, that we're ever growing self-aware of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Help us live it out, God, joyfully. All of us, let us live it out joyfully, Father. Let us shatter from the mountaintops. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Father, put it on our hearts. Put it on our lips, Father God. Let us shout it to friends and family. Let us shout it to foes and enemies. Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. In his precious name we pray.